Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to this week's edition of Church Pulse Weekly. I'm Kerry Newhoff, along with David Kinneman, who is the president of the Barna Group. David, it's just so good to be together again as uh, we head deeply into the fall now and start even thinking about Christmas in 2021. Like, is that where your brain's starting to go? Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, sort, sort of. I mean, for me, I guess it's a, it's a strange mix because every day there's sort of interesting things we're working on here at Barna and just yeah. stuff, stuff at home for me. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we are sort of wrapping up in terms of programming and thinking about where we're heading for our company. You know, we're we're sort of wrapping up sort of our plans for 2020 and the things we're working on and then really heading into a lot of planning for 2021. So I can certainly feel that shift. And, and it does feel like one of the highlights of the data is just that pastors are starting to feel some of that shift as well. One of my predictions is that people will be playing Christmas music a lot earlier this year because it makes them feel good. So just just want you to know you heard it here first, okay? David, we continue uh, to do some polling, and on this episode, we actually want to drill down on the financial aspect of of things because, I mean, talk about things you would have predicted back in the spring when the stock market crashed, and then there's been this recovery of sorts, and yet it's an even recovery, and what do you think about forgiving? So, you know, I, I know a lot of church leaders are planning their 2021 budget. What are some reasonable assumptions? So in a few minutes, we're, we're going to go through the data now. But in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Christopher J. Harris from Crossover Church in Tampa. He is the executive pastor there and also the CEO of DiversChurchJobs.com. And by Jim Shepard. Many of you know him from Generis, where he's principal, and he has been consulting uh, with churches and helping them find financial margin now for about a quarter century. So they're one of the leading names in that space as well. So they're going to be joining us. But David, we continue to do our weekly polling. And one of the things I love about this podcast is it's not just information, it's participation. And if you haven't yet, maybe you're a new listener. We've had a lot of new listeners this fall. Uh, checked out churchpulseweekly.com. Um, we would love to take, you know, find out how you're doing. Kind of get a get a read on your pulse, uh, how you're doing emotionally, how you're doing financially, how you're doing, you know, just in terms of being prepared for the journey ahead. So we do this weekly pastor poll and um, would love to have you participate. And we've got tools that you can use for your church with the people check-in and so on. All that is available at churchpulseweekly.com. So, David, you want to take it from here and walk us through some of the latest findings? So, we want to take a deeper look today at some of the financial realities of churches. And, you know, one of the things we've been seeing right along is that most churches expect they're going to survive, but that number has has dropped some during the year. It's it's recovered a little bit uh, in terms of people's uh, belief that their their own church will survive. You mean in the sense that it's gotten more optimistic? A few more people are saying, "Yeah, I think we're going to make it." Correct. Yeah, it was it was uh, it dropped to a certain level that you know almost six in ten churches said they thought they would survive. Okay, let me ask this question. David, does that, I mean, we've quoted this a few times where you thought perhaps 20% of churches may not make it. Does that adjust that feeling at all? Or uh, you still think that's a fairly solid understanding of what the future might look like? I'd say I still believe that many, many churches are going to have uh, challenges in, in the next 18 to 24 months, and, and maybe it stretches out over the next three years. 
I think that COVID is going to still have this sort of deep and long-lasting impact into the viability of a lot of independent churches, non-denominational churches, smaller churches, yeah. uh, older aging churches. I think this is going to reshape the congregational landscape in North America. And most actually think that's a healthy thing. Uh, yeah. Maybe it won't be as many as one in five uh, in the end, but I think it's still going to be a significant proportion, partly because we also have our our, our uh, fingers to the ground on a lot of sort of denominational, older denominational mainline churches. Uh, a lot of millennial data is really showing how how significantly the disconnections are with younger people to, mm. to churches. So they were already attending virtually, um, you know, sort of, they were already sort of ch- checking out certain things before the, the, the pandemic, but the, the, the degree to which they're disconnecting now uh, is, is intensifying uh, during COVID. So I think there's a lot of things that will affect that. Okay, well let's uh, let's dive into the data that uh, we collected over the last little while. See what's uh, see what's new or see what's interesting. Yeah, a couple of things I want to highlight for listeners today. Number one, um, we asked about the planning cycle for churches, and most per- churches typically say they plan for 2021, just like we were talking about, kind of where, where you know where we are as leaders for our respective organizations at the beginning of the show. Uh, most people say they plan for 2021. Uh, in as no later than September. There's a few that plan in October, but but you know, in a normal year prior to the pandemic, people think about planning for 2021 September or earlier, even as early as uh, before July. They're already planning 2021 calendar. Uh, but what we're noticing in the data now is that pastors are t- tend to be pushing that back October or later. In fact, 14% of pastors say they're not even sure when they're going to plan. Um, and so you've got some in November, uh, 5% in d- December, 4% saying they're going to wait until January to plan for 2021, uh, and 14% saying they're not sure. So we definitely see this sort of shift from an early summer, you know, sort of late summer planning cycle uh, into the fall or even into the new year. I've heard a few people say that they're thinking about quarter by quarter or half a year plan too, rather than the full annual calendar laid out. Yep. Okay. The data really shows uh, shows that planning is is being extended, and there's a lot of questions around how to think about sort of the right planning cycle. Would love to hear from our guests about some of that. Um, another set of uh, questions we asked r- r- really relate to um, how well pastors uh, are st- stay connected to the people that they're uh, that they're serving. Uh, we asked a series of questions: How well do you would you say you have a good understanding when it comes to people's immediate needs? on six different dimensions, and it was financial well-being, relational well-being, emotional, physical, vocational, and spiritual well-being. And on that series of questions, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about this because the the highest was for physical well-being at 29%. It actually surprised me that it was higher than spiritual well-being, which came in at 24%, who said that Hmm. they definitely have a good handle on that. Um, And then vocational at 22%, emotional at 13%, uh, relational at 12%, and then financial at 10%. So pastors are the least likely to say that they have a good handle on, on people's financial well-being. Maybe that's part of the sort of confidentiality and we don't want to pry on people's finances. But there's a couple observations that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is when we ask this question, we do it in a multi-part uh, way. So you can say def- definitely have a good handle on it or somewhat a good handle on it. Um, many, many pastors say they have a somewhat good handle on those different areas, which to me 
um, I always want to be honest with the leaders that we're working with. How, how in the world can you really have a, a somewhat good handle on some of these things? I mean, I, I don't even know how you'd have a definite good handle on this. I think we have to admit this this year especially is reinforcing the fact that um, we don't really, there's not really very good ways of, of keeping track on what people are doing in our congregation. And now more than ever, it is imperative that we do have a good sense of how people are, are doing uh, and so I think this data shows us some of that kind of tension that leaders have, like, what do we know? What should we know? How well do we know it? How can we show up to serve people beyond just whether they showed up on Sunday? And, um, and, and again, I think it underscores the fact that particularly related to, to financial well-being, it is the area that pastors have the least visibility on as, as well as, you know, sort of relational and emotional health. Um, and so, you know, one of our jobs here at Barna, part of Church Pulse Weekly's mission and part of our job at Barna is to help reacquaint you, get you better, get you better information and data in an anonymous way around the people that you're serving. We have a free tool called the People Pulse uh, that could be used for that. But, you know, again, really try to find a, find a way to be better connected with the people you serve. I think that should be one of the long lasting impacts of the virus. Well, and I just want to encourage, if I can uh, just add my comment on that a little bit, David. I mean, um, you know, having sat in the lead pastor seat for two decades and also have a friendship with you that goes back over a decade now, I can say way too often as a lead pastor, I kind of flew by gut and by intuition. And I think that's a little bit of an occupational characteristic that a lot of us say, oh yeah, I think I know how things are going. Um, now, the challenge, you know, until then, you kind of had to guess because you couldn't bring the polling data into your church because nobody had those capabilities. But early listeners of this podcast, if you were with us from the launch, you remember in the first few months, we talked again and again about Church Pulse Weekly and your ability to do your people poll, your people check-in. And if you haven't availed yourself of that yet, I would encourage you to do that because you can stop guessing. Like you don't have to intuit where people are at. And I found as a leader, sometimes, you know, my intuition's wrong. I just, I just guess wrong. And you think your people are great and they're not, or you think they're terrible. And it turns out actually they're fine in this area. So everything from like series planning through to financial forecasting through to knowing what to do with the counselors, I think can be informed better by data. So David, just remind people where they can find that right now. And, and it is free, right? So you can use that for free. All that would be available at barnaaccess.com and you can sign up for a free account there, barnaaccess.com to use the People Pulse and some of the other tools that are available there for you to, to sort of check awesome. in with how, how people are doing. So, Okay, so you got anything else to share before bringing bring the guests in? Yeah, I wanted just to sort of underscore again this, this financial picture then, um, you know, giving levels in the last weekend, uh, 17%. It's been a very consistent yeah. 17% of, of, of leaders who say their church giving is higher than it was pre-pandemic. Uh, that's very similar to the percent, 18% who said their attendance was higher. It's been one in six uh, churches that have yeah. said, yeah, we're actually doing pretty well. Uh, 56% of churches uh, told us in our most recent polling that their giving was the same. 28% said it was much declined. And then just another new survey question that we want to add in. Uh, 43% told us that income exceeding is currently exceeding their expenses uh, as a church. 43%, that's a, a great number, great news. Um, 43%, this takes a more holistic look than just week over week giving, right? Um, and then 8% of pastors, it's not a huge number, uh, but but again, this represents ten, you know, tens of thousands, uh, of, or th certainly thousands of churches in North America. 8% say that income is not meeting their expenses that their that their debt levels are increasing, um, and so those are those are getting. And that was what percent eight eight percent. 
It's significant, though. Yeah. Maybe about one in 12 churches. Um, and so, you know, just recognizing some of the, I think, more than ever, the, the sort of the, the dashboard on the church in the U.S., the church in North America, certain lights are sort of blinking green, some are blinking yellow, some are blinking red, and, and that's the case for some specific churches, right? So I think more than ever, the churches that have been effective, churches that have effective, you know, sort of generosity solutions, uh, churches that have sort of a perspective on how to think about managing their operations well, uh, their their lights are blinking, you know, maybe green or yellow, whereas other churches are on a different place in the spectrum. They're really struggling in other ways. Hmm. Okay, well, that's super helpful. And uh, again, I just, I, I know I've said this before, but just as somebody who's benefited from the research for so many years, just thank you for what you do. Uh, I feel like you do it so well. And it's just helpful to actually fly by instruments, not by gut sometimes. So let's bring in our guest today. We've got uh, Christopher J. Harris from Crossover Church, and we also have Jim Shepard from Generis. So uh, as they join us, I'd just like to pick up on their reactions to the data that you shared and anything else they happen to be seeing. So uh, welcome. Good to see you both. And Jim, why don't we start with you? What uh, any, any reaction to the data that David shared? I think it's, um, thank, again, thanks for, for uh, inviting me to join in here today and uh, love the conversation, love data. I think, Carrie, you know me well. I'm pretty much of a data junkie, so I absorb <laughs> that stuff like a sponge. You know, I think everything that David is saying echoes what I'm seeing at the church level as our team is out there talking to churches, as I'm talking to church leaders. Um, I think what you just heard, if you just kind of reemphasize what he said, 72, 73% of churches are up or same as last year, which is remarkable. If you'd told me on March 16th of this year that that would have happened, I would have uh, taken out a second mortgage. Not that I'm a wagering man, but I would have taken out a second mortgage on that one. <laughs> And I would have been vastly wrong, obviously. Um, you know, I think what we're seeing, though, I, I do want to go back to what David was talking about in this fundamental reshaping of the American church. I think even though optimism is fairly high right now, I think if you probe underneath that, confidence is not quite as high. So I'm optimistic. I hope this is going to be this good. I'm not confident this is going to be this good. And so that's kind of a, what I'm picking up from some. And I think it's affecting their planning cycles for next year. Oh, that's an interesting distinction. That's really helpful. Christopher, what, what, what did you hear and what would you like to, uh, to respond to? Yeah, so thank you guys for having me on today as well. And, uh, you know, I, I would agree with what Jim uh, just, just shared and, and uh, his insights. On a local level, I would, I would say that really some of those numbers bear out that it's uh, sort of a, 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 a sigh of relief that we made it through the summer uh, we made it through the initial phase of the pandemic, and it was almost like, oh, okay, that that financially, then maybe that wasn't as bad as we anticipated, right? We didn't know what was going to happen. And so for lots of local churches and local pastors and executive pastors like myself, it was like, okay, uh, okay, we, we, we're here, guys. Let's let's figure out what the next phase of, phase of this looks like. And I would also agree with Jim that uh, in many ways, um, the, the numbers may reflect this optimism, but I'm not sure um, if we can all count our, our eggs already yet. I think there's still some hesitation, still a pause, a pregnant pause. Um, and I would also say that there is some, some, uh, a level of uh, empathy uh, for churches who have uh, pastor friends and, and sister churches in their cities uh, who may very well still be struggling in a significant way. Um, so, you know, there, there's a tension because if your church is doing well, 
financially, you don't want to come across as arrogant uh, to your friends who may not be doing well. So, you know, it's a little bit of a tension to manage. It is an emotional journey, too. I mean, as much as we talked about the value of data, for which I think we're all grateful, um, there's, there is a gut sense to this. And so, Christopher, I'd love to ask you, and then I want to ask Jim as well, you guys at your church just reopened, right, in October? So very recent reopening. So like almost everybody else, for six full months, you're like not able to meet in person or at least gather on a large scale. What was that journey like emotionally for you as a leader, as the exact pastor? Well, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer that for both myself and my pastor and then our team, right? So um, we have a good balance on our team of folks who are uh, what we would consider to be extroverts. Uh, we have some on our team who are introverts. Uh, I, I actually fit sort of in the middle as an ambivert, right? So uh, the question was actually asked, we had a, a pastor to come and do a devotional a few weeks ago at our staff meeting and asked, well, what, what have you learned and what have you appreciated during this pandemic? Folks like me, I absolutely loved being at home. I didn't have to go anywhere. I could do everything virtually. I did not get Zoomed out. I did not get buzzed out from having to stay home. But folks like my pastor who are externally motivated, they're motivated, motivated and energized by people, it, it, was, it was a toll. It took a toll on them. And so internally as a team, churches and staffs had to kind of navigate and manage expectations and interactions even internally as we interacted with each, each other uh, so that we did not uh, create any unnecessary internal tension as we navigated the decisions of the pandemic. Jim, you can speak into this personally if you want, or you can say, because you just work with so many churches and you kind of feel the collective pulse financially of what people are doing. I mean, how, how has the last six months been? How have they been emotionally for you or for the people that you're connecting with? I think two words, Kerry. Um, the first one is just the word bizarre. <laughs> it has been a bizarre season. You know, things that, uh, again, by your gut, your intuition would have said it would be this, and it's this. And, uh, and, and you said it would be this, and it would, you said it was zig, and it was zag, and you said it was zag, and it was zig. And, you know, as a, I was a, before I came into this work, I was a CFO in a public company, and I can tell you, uncertainty is one of the most um, difficult emotions for financial people to deal with. You know, we can actually mm -hmm. deal with downward trends better than we can deal with uncertainty because we don't have a planning mechanism for that. And so mm -hmm. it becomes very bizarre. And then the second word that kicks in is that as a result of that, it's a very wearying season. I, I've mm -hmm. heard more tired, not tired, tired is one thing. I think just truly weary church leaders in this season um, than I think I've heard in my entire, you know, life. And I've been doing this in 1992 with church leaders. I've never seen a season like this. And I think that's the toll it's exacting on people. And so, you know, kind of per, part of my call to them is be financially healthy, but make sure you're taking care of your soul and your emotional well-being as well. Mm. Christopher, uh, being on the ground, you guys are Tampa-based. And uh, I don't know exactly, everyone talks about this being so regional, right? Unemployment in one city can be different than somewhere else in the state. But what has the financial journey been like uh, for your church and also for the people that you serve and the people you're trying to reach? Can you, can you just give us a little, you know, real-time update on that? Yeah, so we, um, we wanted to be very intentional about touching our people. Um, so literally every member of our church received multiple phone calls during the pandemic. And, you know, when the pandemic first started uh, in the first month, 
Uh, it was interesting because we were waiting to hear how many people were losing their jobs or going to lose a job. And the, the more we got into the pandemic, the more we discovered that very few of our people actually lost their jobs. Uh, there was a very stable uh, economic impact uh, from our membership. And so for that, we, we were very appreciative. Uh, in terms of our church, um, we discovered um, that obviously our expenses went way down. Um, and so we were able to uh, pay some things off. We were able to uh, put some things in reserves. Uh, we were able to reprioritize some budget items and line items uh, to really focus in on the things that we, you know, really had dreamed about or th thought about during a pre-pandemic. So it, it really turned out to be uh, a very fruitful season for us in that way. And we're very, very thankful for it. So. Hmm. And that you, so you would probably be one in the six David's talked about then that has seen growing revenue. And I've talked to others who've had flatlined revenues, um, but their expenses are lower. They're not renting portable locations. They're, they don't have honestly like food and coffee expenses when you're not meeting in person, right? You just don't have that stuff. And so uh, for a lot of churches, it would be interesting to see you know, they may not say, well, revenue is not up, but actually, if you look at it, there's more cash in the bank now than there was in March. Jim, are you seeing that in some churches as well? Yeah. So let's just think of it this way, Carrie. If your revenues are even down 5%, but your operating expenses are down 16%, you're throwing 11% into the bank. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you can actually be from Georgia and still know that. Yeah. I'm from Georgia. I'm from Georgia. So <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's a simple principle there. Sometimes we get so focused on the P&L, we forget that there is a cash line and the cash line is really important in this season. And that's what I'd say to churches to focus on. Yeah. Uh, Jim, you said something early on, because uh, you and I, I have had multiple conversations over the course of, uh, of, of this year uh, that I thought was really interesting. And I'm paraphrasing a bit, so correct it. And then I'd just love for you to share with listeners what, what you mean by it but that churches that were in a good position financially are probably in a better position now. Churches that were shaky or unstable or struggling, the crisis just amplified that even more, and it made it more difficult. Do you want to just comment on that trend? Because I think it's a really good note to file. We all talk about a rainy day, but maybe it really hasn't rained or all the crises have been internal, but this was like a universal event that impacted everybody. And your argument is that it made it more complicated for churches that were already shaky, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think it's an important principle to understand anytime lean times come around is that it's not the lean times that cause these churches to be in distress. It just reveals that they were in distress. They were already in distress mm. before all this happened. It pulls back the layers of the onion and you see it. And, you know, so it exacerbates, actually it exacerbates the good churches as well because they tend to stand even higher in the crowd during this time. But the, but the, the, the other ones, and I think that that really resonated with me when David talked about this fundamental reshaping of the American church. I think there are a lot of struggling churches that this is going to be the one that kind of puts them under. Their vision isn't clear. They've been in maintenance mode. Um, you know, their congregation is getting older and older every year. All the signs that you, David, Christopher, and I know are not healthy signs for growing churches. And this is the one thing that's going to push them. You know, 85, 90%. The other thing that's frustrating for me and that I see a lot is the financial architecture of these churches is set up where, you know, so much of their money is already spoken for before it comes in the door. The combination of debt buildings and people is 88 to 92% and sometimes even higher. And when, when a financial lean time comes, you have very few options in that season. Very few options. 
Well, that reminds me of this uh, metaphor we've used a little bit to describe the health of, of churches, which is the idea of comorbidities, just like the COVID crisis has an effect on public health. There's sort of comorbidities for uh, institutional health as well. Um, and at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about how organizations can sort of maybe rightly assess where they're at. We laid out some data and part of our job is to help you as leaders say, well, you're not alone. If you're, if you're doing well, you're, you're not the only people that are doing well. And if you're doing poorly, you're not the only people that are struggling. Um, we talked about this idea of planning a little bit differently with, with maybe it's, maybe it's like a foggy, you know, sort of drive along the, the, the coast or whatever. How would you recommend to leaders that they plan with uncertainty that we see in the market today and, and sort of in the, in the environment? So what would be some principles we could use to sort of really sort of drive effectively, you know, through the, the fog that we're sort of seeing in the, in the environment today. David, I, I love the question. I love the idea of comorbidity too, because, you know, just for me personally, I'm convinced that organizations die and organizations live and, you know, it's actually just a necessary part of what happens. It's why I think church planting is so important because we've got to birth new churches that are going away every year. I think the one thing, and I'm seeing a few churches adopt this, but if it were me, if I were the CFO or the executive pastor of a local church, if I had one thing I could do financially, I would move my entire church to a rolling three-year finance, three-year, three-month financial budget. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have some numbers out into the future. I'm a numbers guy by training and background. I might have two, three years out there, but those are kind of the blurred vision. My sharp vision would be around this, this three months rolling. So as soon as September rolls off, you know, I'm now October, November, December. I'm now November, December, January. I'm looking forward to the next three months. I think it's really hard to see beyond that in this season. Mm -hmm. And I think if a lot of churches would adopt that tool, they'd find some financial clarity that they don't have right now. Christopher, how about you? What what would you say? It's a great question. How are you approaching 2021? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to actually answer that in two ways very quickly. And I, I, I agree, of course, with Jim. Jim's the, the, the money expert on the call today. Um, but I would say this, the first thing I would say this, right? So earlier, uh, Carrie, you and David were having a conversation about trusting your gut. And it's interesting because in 2019, as we were planning for 2020, some of us on our team had something in our gut. We didn't have language for it. Uh, but something in our gut that said, you know, it would be cool if we just took a hiatus, took a pause and only focused on the bare minimum and put some monies aside, reserve some things, uh, pay some things off, you know, that kind of thing, or reposition ourselves, not knowing that a global pandemic was coming. Right. And so one of the things that I would tell leaders is, first of all, you need to sit, sit still for a moment and actually pray and see what's going on in your gut. See what God is saying to you for your local church. Uh, because obviously, you know, God's not going to lead you wrong, right? God's not going to steer you, you wrong in your local assembly. And uh, the same way that he guided Joseph, right, in, in to prepare for lean times and to prepare for what was coming, um, I think God wants to do that again, right? That, that there's this notion, um, this pandemic has taught all of us that we are actually not in control. No matter how many plans we make, no matter how much forecasting we do, we're not in control, right? And that's some of that uncertainty. And when Jim earlier talked about the anxiety and the stress of the moment for many pastors, part of that is actually acknowledging that your plans are not, you're not in charge, right? Like God ultimately has the final say so. Um, and that uncertainty and unknowingness is what's, what's created some tension. So, so I would start there. Secondly, I would say, you know, focus on the main thing. And I know that sounds cliche-ish, right? But I would say let's eliminate, at least for this season, 
all the fluff. Let's eliminate all the unnecessary and focus on the main things. Let's get those things paid for. Let's get those things stabilized and then start dreaming, uh, you know, maybe six months out uh, at that point and kind of go from there. So do you think this is an important period of time for all of us as leaders, whatever kind of organization or movement we're working for or church uh, to do just what you said there, Christopher, because I was presenting some data for a, a church conference of, I think, a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors a couple weeks ago, and I was showing a, a data slide about all the programs the church has run. It's like 80% plus of churches run like, you know, like 25 different things for this group and that group and this thing. And I was just reminding, it's like, no organization can do all this, much less a, a, a relatively small or mid-sized congregational with a bunch of volunteers, you know. And so it's like now is a perfect time for us to really be honest about what we can do and sign up for and do it well and what we should just say, right now we're going to stop doing this. And I just want to give leaders permission to sort of say we're not we're going to stop doing some things to be healthier organizationally in terms of focus on mission. So the operation side is more than just about money. It's also about people and personnel. And one of the conversations that's been um, bubbling up in the background, like a low boil on the back burner, right, of the stove, is the whole question about what do we do with our staff? Like if online is going to be uh, a bigger part of our future. And Christopher, I think before we started recording, like you had a great first Sunday back, but it wasn't 100%, which would be, you know, you were on the high side of what whatever the new normal is emerging, but it's still, there's a gap, right? What are you thinking about or what are you seeing when it comes to redeploying staff and reallocating staff? Any thoughts on that? Christopher, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, when I look at uh, the, the numbers that you guys have been reporting every week on this podcast and the work that Barna's been doing, um, I think it's important for churches to really start thinking not about either or, but both and. There, there needs to be a hybrid model. And I think the staff, um, your leadership. Um, and so when we say staff, right, let's expand that to even our volunteer leaders, right, our volunteer activators and folks uh, that are high capacity leaders. Um, uh, I think we've got to think, you know, uh, in, in, in those both in both and terms, right? That there's there's two, you're basically going to be managing two campuses at the same time. And I don't mean that in terms of physical locations, I mean in terms of online and physical, right? Um, and making sure those folks are served. I think secondly, I think it's going to be really, really important. And uh, people would wonder why this would tie into uh, some of the, the numbers conversation, but I think churches locally uh, they need to be visible, right? They need to have a voice um, in the things that are happening in their local community, because at the end of the day, your brand is going to impact your bottom line. Um, and there's areas of local influence and areas of tension, uh, whether that's justice issues or equity issues or whatever that may look like uh, that you need to think about. Um, the final thing that I would say is um, I think that we're going to see officially that the gig economy is going to hit the front door of the church. And you're going to have to figure out what that looks like for your church. Can you say more about that? I'd love to know more because I've, I've thought a lot about the gig economy. Yeah, so I, I think you're going to start to see more people uh, in your church involved in the gig economy, but I also think mm -hmm. your church as an organization needs to start thinking about the gig economy and how do we create multiple streams of income for your church? Uh, some of that could be unconventional, right? Because historically, you know, churches would look at creating CDCs or, you know, uh, launching um, daycare centers or, you know, things like that. And particularly for churches that are churches of color or urban churches, multi-ethnic churches. And I just think we're going to have to really start thinking unconventionally and very innovatively to find unique ways to create those additional streams. And I don't mean multi-level marketing in any way, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Jim, any thoughts on that, on staffing uh, for the future church? Yeah, I think that there's a huge question as to whether your staffing model works based on how you see the future. Again, this goes back to the question you and I have talked about, whether, excuse me, you view this as interruption or disruption. Um, Staffing models are going to change. It may not change the headcount of your church, but it might change the who and what they do and how many of them are are deployed in in different areas, kind of to what what Christopher is talking about. You've now got this digital campus, and that's a whole different skill set than what you've been doing. Um, this is not going to be just streaming your online service every week. That has limited legs. And the churches that are continuing to try that are going to find that. You know, you can't just week after week not be speaking into the, uh, uh, into the kitchens and the living rooms and the other places. And so you're going to have to have the people that would do that. I love the idea of different streams of income. You know, I think one of the things that's going to happen, Gary, is, you know, larger churches, larger established churches that have 100, 200, maybe 300,000 square feet of space are going to have to rethink how that space gets deployed because that was constructed in an era that's much different than the way church is going to be done going forward. And I think those are the kinds of things that are being accelerated by COVID because while certainly the physical and social distancing of, you know, a pandemic, and we can start to see in the data, and I think just around us, like people are starting to come to grips with being around others or, you know, being out in the marketplace. But previous episode, we, we talked with, um, with someone who was talking about the idea. It was Dave Ferguson who was saying, you know, we need a program around those that are very comfortable in physical spaces, those that are only somewhat comfortable, you know, with smaller groups and those that are very uncomfortable and want to sort of really primarily sort of interact with the church sort of in digital environments. And I think that's you know, really, really right. We're, we're actually going to be releasing a couple of weeks, a new study on the hybrid church future. And it's, mm. it's like people were already renegotiating their relationship with the physical campus of the church. Right. And I right. think it's going to accelerate a lot of that. I wanted to add one more piece of data here and, and ask Christopher about hiring and uh, you, you run diverse jobs. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but we saw a little bit of a bump in early the, la- the last month, six weeks, uh, of uh, seven to eight percent of churches saying they were hiring new staff. The early days of the pandemic, people were were very very circumspect. You know, either cutting staff or putting people on furlough. Um, it's not a huge trend, but just this idea that that you know, sort of people are sort of hiring back up, uh, sort of being, maybe being ready for the new digital future. Uh, what are some principles you think we should be looking for, sort of generally as we think about hiring, bringing on new new people, and then specifically thoughts on on sort of the, the diverse church future and how we as, as for, for, for me, for Carrie, as white church leaders, you know, what are ways we ought to be thinking about the hiring process going through all that we've gone through and the questions of equity? I mean, that's a big question, but what are some, what are some principles we should keep in mind? Yeah, thank you for the question, David. Uh, great question. So I would say as quickly as I can, um, number one, I think it's really important for churches and executive pastors and staffs to really start thinking about not just filling roles, but how, who, who's, on the, who's on the bus that's going to help vision become a reality. And I think that's important. Um, I think we're going to start to see some unique uh, creative titles um, and, you know, very specific titles that help to do some innovative things, uh, whether that's, you know, a pastor of, of digital arts or a pastor of uh, digital media, you know, those kinds of things. I think you're going to see um, all kinds of other uh, digital discipleship roles uh, that will that will come on board, even as it relates to you know next generation ministries. I think that's going to be really really interesting. Uh, more specifically to your second question, so I intentionally started DiverseChurchJobs.com uh, to be a catalyst to help people of color in ministry find great jobs. 
Uh, and, you know, had I known that the pandemic was starting, I don't know that I would have started it when we started it, but we officially launched the Martin Luther King weekend of this year, 2020. Um, and uh, to be candid with you, our phones have been ringing off the hook because while COVID-19 has been ha happening, COVID-16-19 has also been happening. And that has created lots of discussion around uh, diversity on staff and diversity in churches. And churches are starting to have those hard conversations, not just to get the token person of color on their team, but what does it actually look like to adjust our culture and to adjust our language and the look and feel. And so um, we have, um, to, to, to my surprise even, been very overwhelmed in a good way uh, for the kinds of conversations and folks that have been reaching out to us saying it's it's time for us to, to start making this happen because two reasons, and I'll just end with this. Number one, the communities around their churches have already been changing and COVID has forced them now to acknowledge that. Secondly, their next gen leaders and next gen students have, have been, they, they have been living in a much more multi-ethnic world themselves every day of the week. And so they, their churches weren't that, but their lives were that. And they're starting to now have it to acknowledge that. And so it's forced us to be able to be in a great position to hopefully impact the kingdom for years to come. That's awesome. I got a really practical question and a broad one as we wrap up. So really practical. I've been asking a lot of leaders this one, and it's super nerdy. Um, cash and bank. So a general rule of how much uh, you know operating income should you keep in the bank as a reserve moving forward in light of what we know now. Most people would say somewhere between a month to three months is sort of the pre-pandemic council. Has that changed at all? What's your recommendation moving forward or your plan? I, I was, well, I was going to defer to Jim because he's the expert, but, but I, 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 I would say, honestly, I, I think there's something to the fact that the federal government picked six months for uh, the PPP, right? Um, I, think, I don't think that was at a, at an accident. Um, particularly for your smaller to mid-sized churches, if they can figure out a way to, uh, to temporarily adjust their programming for a season to get four to six months worth of, you know, uh, monthly expenses in the bank in reserves, if they can figure out ways that churches can, you know, do what Dave Rams has been talking about for years, right? Get rid of those credit cards, minimize use of credit cards, right? If you don't have the cash, then you can't do it. And really just become really disciplined and focused on how you spend and, and, and what, you, what you spend your money on. I, 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 that would be the advice that I would give. And that's what we're trying to apply at our church. How about you, Jim? What would you say? Jerry, I would say back to the previous question about the churches that were exposed early on. Uh, in the conversations that I had and that my team had with church leaders, you could absolutely tell the churches that had proper reserves and the ones that didn't. The level of panic was, was inversely related to it. If you didn't have reserves, your panic was really high. So I'd say a couple of things. First of all, reserves are an important part of any church's financial strategy both the accumulation of, and this is the one that's, that's, that's uh, kind of confusing because I find out a lot of churches didn't have this, how to spend them down when there comes a rainy day. Because I've had some of them that are like, well, we're not sure where to tap into reserves. I said, well, wait a minute, that's a rainy day fund. And if it's not raining now, I don't want to be at your house when a storm breaks out. Let's just make sure we're clear about that. I would say just for me as a financial guy, I think that it's really hard to justify having less than two months I know some churches that have less than two. I think two months is an absolute minimum. Your model of ministry, how much staff, how much building expense, how much debt you have, just a lot of factors come into that. But I'd also say that, you know, if you're going to deploy donor givers money, donors money 
into ministry, it's hard to justify more than six months because that becomes idle money. And so I would say probably minimum of two months. I like four, Christopher said four. I really like that number. I could see where you might go to six, but make sure you have have proper reserves in, in, in place. I'm glad you raised that point too, because you're right. There is a certain level, particularly for a charity where it becomes irresponsible or uh, greedy or uh, off mission to have. And that's the stereotype, you know, type of the dying church that has millions in reserves and bequests, but five people left, right? And you don't want to do that. On the other hand, where I live, sometimes it snows. And well, with digital giving, it's changed, but you'd get a whole week wiped out, right? And so you got to be prepared. Now, that's really good advice. And, you know, I, I think moving into the future, hopefully we're better prepared. We remember that. It's funny you mentioned gut because I had the same intuition. We, I've always been interested in that cash in on hand thing and kind of increased reserves in my organization and also personally pre-pandemic. We were always conservative in that, but went a little bit more. And it's funny, I opened the year with the Joseph narrative running through my mind, seven lean years, seven, you know, fat years, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, here we are, surprise, surprise. So I don't know what that was, but uh, anything else you're looking for on the future as we kind of wind down today? Anything else that you're like really paying attention to heading forward in the next few months? I think one of the core values of the kingdom of God moving forward is, is going to be collaboration. Um, I think any church, um, any pastor that doesn't intentionally make local community collaboration and even regional collaboration as a part of their DNA is going to find themselves struggling and on an island. And I just don't think that that's going to be healthy. Um, I think that um, being willing to put personal egos aside and, you know, pastors or churches having to take the credit for one thing happening um, is not, it's not going to bode well for the kingdom overall. So I think, you know, pastors really need to be in churches and staffs need to really be intentional about thinking about how do we find ways to collaborate to meet the needs of people, to meet the needs of our community, to meet the needs of families and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And even address some of the issues that we addressed a little bit earlier that you guys have already spent, you know, weeks talking about and unpacking um, over the last few months. So uh, that would be one thing that I would just encourage anybody listening to this to figure out ways to intentionally start collaborating with other churches and pastors. So good. Jim, final wow, thought. What a good word. What a good word right there. I think if I had, um, I have several things, but I think the one that rises to the top for me would be this idea that engagement is much bigger idea than attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, the dashboards of churches that you and I know that all four of us know are just their top, you know, two numbers, Monday morning, especially are attendance and giving. And those, it's not that those are not important, but they just can't be the only thing. I mean, do you want Jim and Nancy who give pretty good and come 40 times a year and don't do anything else in your church? Or do you want Jim and Nancy who are on a giving journey, got two young girls, they both are in a discipleship group, they both have a personal ministry inside the church, outside the church, and both of their daughters are actively involved in, in youth in, in age-level mm-hmm. ministries. I mean, which one of those do you want? And then when you decide that, make sure that you've put in place the priorities and the systems and every and the vision and everything it takes to make that happen. Because if, if we haven't seen, but, you know, we've seen a lot of things. Uh, exposed here. And David, I think you alluded to it and and Carrie's heard me saying this. These are not sudden things. The tectonic plates have been shifting underneath this for years and years and years. And I think we've had this sense that the spiritual level of our people is not as deep as it should be. We now know that. COVID has exposed that. 
And, and, and I would just say to all of my friends, all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, let's not let that be the case any longer. Let's have the courage to stand up and do something about this and address these issues. And I think the idea that engagement is a bigger idea than attendance is something that needs to be brought to the top level. Well, Jim Shepard, thank you so much. Christopher Harris, thank you so much. You've uh, given us a lot to think about and actually uh, some really good strategies for the future. Thank you both. David, uh, wow, that was was a great uh, time together. Uh, Any final thoughts as we wrap up today? Yeah, I just want to thank uh, these guys for being a part of our show today and I really appreciate your insights. Uh, I, I just kept sitting back here listening, thinking, taking notes for myself. So I think that we're going to look at 24, 36 months from now, back at this year, you know, however long the pandemic and mask wearing and all the other things, I think we're going to look back and sort of say, this was a fundamental recalibration of how we ran our organizations, how we thought about like really what, what is a life worth living and how we measure what matters, how we think about impact. Um, and, and I was encouraging someone it was mostly for my own good, but it, but it was uh, for someone else that like this, let's really push through the fatigue and the weariness too, because I, I sort of sense among leaders that I talk to that this idea of like, ah, oh, we're almost to the other side, or let's try to just get back into some some more normal rhythms. And that's all good. Uh, but really like push into what the Lord has to show you as a leader, as a church. So it, it being fatigued can can make us sort of ready to sort of throw in the towel or just sort of take short, shortcuts, work really hard in the next couple of months as the year ends, not to take shortcuts and to think about 2021 as a sort of a new fresh start for what you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, whether you're a young leader and middle age, uh, sort of later stage leader, I think it's really important that we push through that fatigue toward what the Lord is leading his church to be. I think that's so good. It's the best time to reinvent, really is, while we're in the middle of this and prepare a much more solid foundation. Well, you can find everything over at barnaaccess.com. We would love to hear from you. We do continue with regular polling, and there's all kinds of things that you can use for your own church, too. Uh, check out People Pulse uh, so that you don't have to guess anymore. You can figure out how your people are doing as you close out 2020 and make plans for 2021. Once again, Christopher, Jim, thank you so much. David, we'll see you next time on Church Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.